Ah, you're a legend for being here, doll. You're welcome. What was that? You're welcome. With Hillary Rushford. Say it again. You're welcome. In advance. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the show. My dear, last week we talked about the three options you have in unhealthy relationships. And that has led to some incredible conversations over in my DMs. And I've gotten a lot of questions about relationships that aren't unhealthy, where you're just trying to be helpful. It's a good, positive relationship, but you still experience that same frustration we touched on where the person isn't changing. They aren't making new choices. But it doesn't feel unhealthy. It's more in this case, I just, I so love them. I so want them to be happier. I so want to help. This isn't feeling toxic to me. I don't want to flee the relationship and leave. And I also don't want to just freeze because that kind of makes me feel like a bad friend. You know, I don't want to just give up and be like, well, if you don't take my advice, then fine, you know. But my fight And again, this is a loving fight, meaning we're just really trying to be helpful and supportive and cheerlead them and have their back and be in their corner. It doesn't seem to be making a difference. (laughs) And I thought that that was such a great separate angle to take on this same challenge. And a recurring theme for a lot of months now here on the podcast has been not controlling others. And I would say that is a core lesson I've been working on myself over the last year, or I more so have been seeing how lovely it feels when I stop trying to control others and realizing, oh, that's kind of what was at the core of being frustrated that friend would never message back. And then you get into quarantine and you're just like, ugh, what are expectations? Everyone's in a pandemic. And you're like, you know what? This feels a lot more relaxing in friendships to just let people do what they want to do. And so I have been learning this releasing of controlling others, but I still very much struggle with it when I want to help someone. When I see that friend who's just stuck in an issue and they've been there for months or they've been there for years or I just don't think this is going to work out, and yet... Under my truly, genuinely loving intentions, what we are trying to do is control. We're trying to curate and change what we think would be best for our friend or family member's life. A great example of this was uh, someone said, how do I help my dad in retirement? Like, I am suggesting new things that he could do. He could meet people here. He could do this to volunteer. Like, I feel like he's bored. I feel like he's lonely. But everything I suggest, he's not doing them. And I said to her, I think your option, your your mantra here is to offer and release. You know, like in Legally Blonde when Elle Woods taught the bend and snap. And it had a little motion that went around with it, you know, like you bend over and then you snap and you kind of like elbows back, hands to your hips. 
It was about like how to drop something on the floor and look sexy to a guy. Different thing here when we're talking about your dad in retirement, you know, but the offer and release. So you like, you give yourself the same little um, visual mantra though. I'm going to offer, I'm going to take my two hands and like palms up and kind of like, like I'm offering someone an apple with both my hands out in front of me. I'm going to offer and then I'm going to release. I'm just going to open up my hands and let my, open up my arms and let my hands fling to the side and just be like, I offer it and then I release the outcome. And it's a lighter application of last week's teaching on fight, flight, or freeze. The offer is the fight. It's the, I'm going to brainstorm, workshop, ideate, suggest, you know, what if you did this for work for the friend that is struggling with income? What if you say this to your husband for the friend who's struggling in her relationship? Why don't you leave them? Why don't you, you know, do this? And again, honestly, I do this a lot. I offer up a lot to the people in my life. I mean, I give advice as my actual job, right? Like, it's what people uh, pay me for. You tune in here on the podcast for my advice. You listen to my Instagram stories daily. You DM me. You join my Elegant Excellence Mastermind for business advice. You buy the Elegant Excellence Goals Journal for advice on your dreams and your productivity. So it would be natural that I would do this with the people in my life. And honestly, I'm good at it, which is why I made a career out of it. And I know more detail of my friends, so I can get more granular in my advice, and I have more time with them. I'm trying to, you know, reply in a 15-second Instagram stories where I'm sending a 30-minute voice memo back to a friend. And especially in some ways, I desire to give advice more the healthier that I get, whether that's emotionally healthier or as I've gotten healthier in my business. Because I know how good it feels, and I want that for my friends. It is so much more freeing to live life as an essentialist. And so that friend whose life is so overstuffed and overly full, I just want to beg her, like, please listen to me. Please become an essentialist. I can viscerally feel how weighted down and stuck you feel because I have been there. That was me. I promise. I know there's a better way out. Like, you just want to shout it from the rooftops. Like, this is what it's like to be in a healthy relationship. This is how amazing it feels to set boundaries. You know, what? Whatever it is that we're going through, it actually can be coming from a very healthy place that I'm not trying to control you. I really am. I'm wanting to share this wisdom. I'm wanting to share this freedom, this healing that I found. But if we go way back to episode three, I believe it is, I'll link it below in the description, but one of the very first episodes of the podcast, I taught on our, what I call the three stages of ish, which is a nice way to say S-H-I-T, that the three stages are we deny it, we own it, and then we change it. And the reason that we deny we have a problem or we deny what the solution is, is because we don't know how to change it or we don't believe we can change it. So we're like, that's not my thing or that's not going to work because we either don't know what the solution is or we just don't, we aren't confident that it'll work for us or we aren't confident that we will stick with it or we aren't confident that we really know how to do it or we're intimidated that it's going to hurt worse than where we are right now, whatever. 
Once we move from denying, we start to own and say, like, I know I struggle with this. I know I I overcommit. I know I have a negative outlook on things. I know I fill in the blank. But we still don't yet know how to change it or believe that we can. And I truly have found that we each, we can only change when we believe we can change. When we see the path to change and someone else can't see it and believe believe it for us. And it's a little tiny sliver of help for someone to hold that vision for us, but it is a drop in the ocean compared to what we need for us to truly be the one that's like, okay, I, I get it. I believe it. And so the people in our lives have to be at that same place. I have an embarrassing confession to make. I have um, recently binged a television show called Temptation Island. It is a very trashy premise. Four couples, non-married couples, four dating couples who've been together for like a few years usually, are at a crossroads in their relationship. They're almost always having trust issues. They don't know if one of them is, if if the other one is the one. So they go on this island where they're going to be separated for a month and live with 12 single people of the opposite sex who are trying to date them, who are trying to tempt them. All right. It sounds like a trashy show. It is a trashy show. (laughs) It is not highbrow entertainment. And yet... Because I am a nerd and I see things through this psychological, sociological behavior lens, I find it fascinating. Now, I would also like to point out, if I had to watch this show in real time, like one episode a week, no, couldn't do it. But if I can binge it all in a day while I'm like, you know, organizing my files and like cleaning out my closet and stuff like that, that, that's been perfect. So I kind of like halfway listen to it in the background. And therefore, I get in it the entire season, you know, condensed in a day. And what I've observed from having binged both of the first two seasons now is that these couples, they go through those three stages. They almost all, I mean, I think everyone, they all come in in a place of denial, saying it's my partner's fault. And the basic storyline for almost every couple is it's my It's my boyfriend's fault because he's not trustworthy. And it's my girlfriend's fault because she has trust issues. I would say that's pretty much what it comes down to, right? Because the whole point is you're going to see if you can resist temptation for a month. If this is not someone who has any trust issues, then you're just hanging out apart for a month. You know, it's it's a certain type of person that is putting themselves in the situation. So they come in with this denial. My part, my, my boyfriend is not trustworthy. My girlfriend has trust issues. And they both say it is the other person's fault. If they would change their behavior, I would be happy in this relationship. And then most of them, almost all of them, end up having an experience, uh, a, a, a realization in this time together where they move into owning it. And they almost all say, I see now that it was my fault too. And the men almost all say, I own now that I wasn't giving my girlfriend what she needed. When she said, I need you to tell me that I'm beautiful. I want, I need you to want to meet my family. I need whatever that is. 
I went like, ugh, eye roll, how insecure. And I now own, no, she was speaking up for her needs and I should want to support her in that way. Or I own, yes, she's a little insecure about my trust issues. I mean, I did in fact cheat three years ago. So that's not crazy that she thinks that. And I don't, it's not fair that I'm making her feel like she's crazy. And then the women are owning, I... I need to see my own self-worth and my own value. I need to have more confidence in myself and in a weird, twisted way, guys, because this show is like so misogynistic and trashy and messed up. And yet simultaneously, I find it deeply compelling that I am in the business of helping women have more confidence in their beauty, in their business, in their mental health, in their friendships, in their life. That's that's what I'm all about. So to watch four women go through a transformation where they come out more confident in who they are and they, they're they really built up. It, it, it always seems like they have at least one guy in the house, the single who's trying to date them, who, who because they're trying to woo them, let's be honest, most of the time, they're saying to them like, you, you're beautiful. You are a great girl. You are so fun to be around. You're so sexy. Like, why does he not make you feel that? And they start to, and then the other women are saying the same thing. The other women who really can empathize, they're not being judgmental because they're all there because they have imperfect relationships. These four women become really close friends saying like, you deserve better than this. And as you're looking at all three other women realizing they deserve better, you're like, oh wait, I do too, you know? And so they start to own that this, I did play a role in this. It didn't mean I did something wrong, like, you know, for for the woman, it wasn't wrong to expect her partner to be trustworthy, (laughs) but she owns her role in it that also she has to value her own self-worth. Now, maybe that means leaving him because he's not trustworthy, or maybe that means, you know, not going through the rest of her life insecure because of something that happened, you know, five years ago. So then they get to the point of change. And man, they struggle to change. (laughs) So because both of these seasons are in the past, they were like a year to two years ago. And I realized through watching the the reunion specials or Googling to see like where they are now and what they've shared on social media since, it's really heartbreaking to realize they've changed very little. They might at the end of a month, like the women have grown in more confidence to be like, this is what I want. And then they come back to the reunion show a few months later and they're like, well, but then we got home and like, you know, we hooked up again because like we had to move out and blah, blah, blah. And like, it's, they, they, it wasn't the ability to go poof. I am a confident woman and I know my value and I will not be under, undermined again. It, it's like they, they've grown in confidence for a few weeks and then a few weeks later they forget it. And you see that them struggle and go back and forth, you know, in, in the, the months and the year and the years since then. And so it's a little microcosm to just see you can be watching this woman on t- TV being like, oh my gosh, change. And you can celebrate that she gets to the point of change. But it is hard to truly change these things. And it may be easy for you to watch a show like Temptation Island. And in my case, for example, I don't have a history where anyone ever cheated on me. I don't. I didn't have an insecurity about that. That was never an issue in my relationships. So it's easy for me to watch these women, women and think, why would you stay with someone who treated you like that? But in reality, if I can say, you know what though? I too have ish that I have denied and that I then owned 
and that I wanted to change, but that didn't mean it changed overnight. So if I wasn't able to change my anxiety triggers or my insecurities about these other things, if I couldn't change those in one month, why would I expect you to in, you know, a a month on this show? So I think that the offer part, we give our best advice, but then the release says, I have done my calling. It is important to me as a good friend, daughter, mother, whatever, to love the people in my life, support them, fight for and alongside them. But I also release that, like, you can't love someone out of addiction, right? And I don't have any personal experience with that, but from what I understand and from the people in my life, an addict has to decide. It can't be, you know, that you can have the intervention experience But it still has to be that the addict says yes. You can't force someone into the treatment center. And if you do, it's not going to stick. And that is painful because you're watching someone you care about. And you want this desperately for them. But I think within that release, there is a humility to acknowledge that you cannot control everything. Even For the people that you love, when the writing is so clearly on the wall, what the right healthy answer is, having the humility to say, I can offer with all of my love, heart, and soul, but I do have to release that I I am not in control of them. And it's also healthy to release it for yourself. And I struggle with that sometimes when there's someone in my life like, I just really want them to be happier and healthier. And it's There's times when it's like I I keep thinking about it and I keep talking about it and I'm filling Jeremy in on a situation and it's like, okay, where is the balance where it becomes unhealthy because I'm trying to figure out what their issue is and how I can get through to them and I, at what point is that not up to me? Can I offer what I can offer, but then it's actually healthy for me to release it. And the third key step to this that I've been thinking about after I gave that girl the advice of offer and release, the key third step is then to honor. Because it is easy to think, I I would do this better. I could definitely do this situation better. But there's something that happened to make that person the way that they are. You know, I, I, when I mentioned I never was cheated on, I never, like, I look back, I always did have a lot more self-confidence when it came to relationships with men and not letting myself be treated badly. And I was always a lot more confident in that area. But my early dating experiences were positive. I, I never was cheated on by someone. I never did have someone that had elaborately lied to me or whatever it was. And so I'm blessed that that wasn't my experience. It's not just that I'm such a bomb.com person and I'm so much better than these women on this reality show. Something happened in their life that made them either be okay staying with someone who had cheated on them repeatedly and treated them poorly. Let me just be clear, I'm not making a commentary on whether or not infidelity should be give, should be forgiven. Let's just say if you haven't watched these shows, spoiler alert, the guys who've been unfaithful 
are really unfaithful on the island. <laughs> We're not talking like a good man who really made himself better. You know what I mean? It's that these guys don't treat these women well. They did in the past. They're not in the future. And they, you know, by and large are not on the show. So there is something that happened to that person. I haven't struggled with addiction, but I know that a lot of people who struggle with addiction had addiction in their family. Okay, well, I don't have that. So it's not just that I am a stronger, better person. Something happened to that person or their personality is just different. The girl who said, I'm trying to come up with these things for my dad to do in retirement. He doesn't seem to be taking any of the ideas. Maybe your dad is cool to just chill. And maybe in your mind, you're thinking like, oh, I would be so bored though. And I'm reading all these studies about cognitive ability just declining. And so I want my dad to stay more active because I want him to be more mentally sharp. Like that that's an a, altruistic thing, right? But it also is your desire for yourself. I, I'm with you. I want my parents to have their best cognition for as long as humanly possible. But that's also your desire. If your dad isn't as motivated by that, and he's cool to just chill, we might have to say, that's actually what's making him happy. Now, if he's coming to me and saying, I'm unhappy, and I'm making all of these suggestions, but even there, if that's the case, I'm going to honor, there is a story that's going on for him. He's saying he's really lonely, but he's he's not taking any of my advice to get out there and meet people. So there's probably something happening about a fear of meeting people, a fear of rejection, a fear of being the only one there or the only male there or something. But there's probably something happening. So I want to honor that there's a complex story under that. And when I think about how many things in my life, I was pondering this earlier, like how many things do I do that... I am not perfect at taking care of myself and somebody else could totally give me advice if they knew the little things in my head that if they knew how often I thought like, oh, I should be taking better care of my skin. And they're like, okay, well, why don't you do that? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I get, I get lazy. I just, I'm tired at the end of the night. I don't feel like doing it. Like someone could be like, this is preposterous. If you're concerned about it, then do something about it. You know, how often do we think that to someone else? But I don't do that with the perfect skin routine. Why do I not do the biggest things on my to-do list some days when I know that's the thing I need to get done? Why am I avoiding it and doing all these other little tasks? Why do I not work out when I don't want to be a hunched over old lady? But I've totally gotten out of my workout routine ever since we got into um, being out of New York. And why do I not prioritize therapy? I just, I, I literally bought a three-session pack with my therapist back in like November. Never got around to scheduling it. It's now March. Why, why? Like, why have I not replied to that email that is on my, why am I avoiding that? I can't be the only one that has numerous things throughout the day that if you admitted to someone, this is stressing me out, this is something I don't like, this is something I desire, and they would be like, well, then why don't you do the obvious thing? I don't know. So I really think that key step of honoring is acknowledging how much easier it is to see things in other people and for it to seem so simple what the answer is when for us, we know the complexity of our inner world as to why, in God's name, have we not just replied to the freaking email <laughs> like or whatever it is for you. For me, oftentimes it's not replying to the email. Whatever the thing is, you're just like, why? Why do I not take the multivitamin? Why? 
I don't know. I feel guilty every day. Why do I, why do I not drink more water? Why do I stay up so late at night and not go to bed on time? We all have the things. So I think that back to our choreographed hand motions, because I really love that. So we had offer. We were like putting out the apple with both hands uh, towards them. We had release. We were spreading open our arms and kind of flinging out our wrists. Like I offer, I release. And then like, Hands up, praise, praise hands to the heavens, glory hands, like I honor. I honor in humility, like I throw my hands up kind of in surrender to say, I do not know all the complex inner workings. I actually don't know what's best for their life. I don't, I don't handle my own inner life the best. I don't make all the right decisions. So who am I to think that I actually 100% have the perfect answer there? There's a scripture in the Bible that talks about taking out the speck in our own eye, I'm sorry, taking out the plank in our own eye before we take out the speck in someone else's. And I love whatever your religion is, whether you are finding a quote from Buddhism or Aristotle or the Bible, I love when there is something that has been around for centuries and you're like, oh, yeah, that still applies to humans today. Because it kind of reminds us like how deeply this is in our DNA. This is not a new problem. This is not a you problem. Now I sound like Dr. Seuss. But this is something that we've all struggled with. We look at the speck in someone else's eye. And meanwhile, we've got a big old plank in our own. And yet it seems like, wait, I can see the little speck though and get it out. And meanwhile, it's like, okay, well, you got a plank in your own. You maybe want to deal with that first. Like that's, you know, that that's hurting you a lot more. It's a lot easier and more obvious to get to. Because you can go within yourself and say, I want to figure out how to change this. I want to dig deep into what can I do to change this? Why am I not, you know, et cetera. Which doesn't mean that we're wrong for wanting happiness for our friend. Because that scripture in the Bible is really talking about when you see something wrong in someone and you're judging them. And I think today's topic really is when we love someone, we're not eye-rolling at the person. We're being like, dad, I want you to be happier in retirement. Like, friend, like, you just, you're so exhausted. Why do you keep taking on so many projects? Like, girl, you've been so unhappy with him for so long. Why are you back together with him again? You know, it's those people that, like, we truly love and we, we want that happiness for them. And it doesn't mean that it's wrong, which is why we should continue to offer. And the, and the offering is good, but paired with the release and the honor, it then includes the humility that we don't necessarily know, the health of focusing on ourselves, acknowledging like, I can't control you and I got a lot of my own ish to control, but while loving others super well, not being like, you know what, I got to focus on me so you figure out your own stuff. I don't have time to hear you complain. I don't have time to process and help. It's like, no, I'm going to offer up. I do want to love you super well, but I also then am going to release and I'm going to go make sure that I'm spending enough of my brain power focusing on making myself healthier and really healing my own ish as opposed to getting so distracted and derailed by theirs and then ultimately honoring that their story is their own and if they are struggling to change something there are a lot of layers to that and beneath that and you know I think the other component that I just thought of that underlies this is also prayer for that other person and I will say as 
a Christian prayer can be a little bit of a loaded thing in this situation because it can very easily be used passive aggressively. Like, well, I clearly do know what's best for them. So I'm just going to pray. When I say pray, what I really mean is like, I'm just going to pray that they figure out that I'm right. I'm going to pray that they start listening to my advice. It's not coming with that honor and humility. You know, it's coming with, I do have all the right answers. And I think that we can pray within that release and honor. I not only offer up my active solutions, but I also offer up, okay, I'm adding a fourth, I'm adding a fourth step to our um, our choreography here on the fly. So um, I'm going to offer, apple out. I'm going to release, arms open, wrists flicked wide. I'm going to honor, praise hands up to the heavens, and I am going to pray hands on your heart. Now, prayer can be whatever it is for you spiritually. That can just mean your positive vibes out to the universe. To me, it truly is a conversation with God. But I think once you come at prayer after you have released and honored, then the prayer is, I confess I don't know all the answers. I have an idea, but I also have released that I might be wrong. And I also honor there's a lot more to the situation that I don't know. There's a lot more layers and stories within them, even if they are one of the closest people to me, that I don't know. And I just, I desire for them to be happy and healthy. That's what I want for them. I release that I have, that I know the outcome. I honor that I don't have all the answers. And I come back to also offering up such a, positive, happy, healthy vision for their life. And I can do that through my words and my actions in my honor, in my offering, excuse me, but I also can do that at all times when maybe I'm out of new things to offer up. I've tried the suggestions and they haven't really gone anywhere and or or they tried them and they didn't work. And what if you're like, I don't know the answer. I don't know how somebody gets out of addiction. I'm over my head. I don't know what to tell this friend. I mean, honestly, I went through that with a a friend of mine who was um, in in a relationship with an alcoholic, but they had a child. And... I, it was hard. Like, I don't know if I'm supposed to be advising this person to leave the relationship. Like, that's that's so hard and so complex. So I can offer up my best, but there's also times when we're like, I don't know what I have to offer up. And I think in those moments, and this is truly a word even for myself, to come back more often to that prayer if we don't have the option to offer up, that when we release and honor first – That prayer is coming more from a place of humility that says, I want health and happiness for my friend. I don't know that I have the answer there, but God, I believe that you do. Universe, I believe that you do, and I ask that for them. And I hope that for you and everyone in your life as well. Oh, wait. One more thing. Don't miss this. Before you go, love. P.S. Something I'm loving lately is... Plugging my phone in the bathroom overnight instead of next to my bed, which is something, I mean, I've probably only been told for like a decade by like 892 million people, but sometimes we hear things again and again and again, and yet we do not do them. (laughs) 
why would it take me so long to try out? Now, when I say this, I've done this for maybe a week now. What what changed? What shifted? And why did I not do this before? So whatever your thing is for you, what's the thing you've been saying for forever? What is your resistance? What are your objections? And what is the simplest way to overcome them? So for me, a few of them were, well, I use my phone as my alarm. That became less important because Jeremy and I have been such a good sleep rhythm for months now that... I'm just waking up naturally in the morning. Also, he and I are on the same time schedule, which we probably always have been, but I just finally was like, I barely even use my alarm anymore anyways. I'm like usually awake before it, and we wake up at the same time. So I can just have him set his alarm, and he has no problem. He does not get on his phone late at night, so no worries. Um, I'd gotten into the habit of playing games on my phone. I got a Sudoku game, and I was doing that at night. Then we were in an Airbnb and they had a a paper Sudoku book. And so I tore a few pages out of that to take with me and never ended up using them. And then when we got home, I realized, you know what? I had those papers. If I want to play Sudoku, I can sit here with a paper and a pen and I can do that. And I'm not looking at my screen. I normally read novels before I go to bed at night, but every once in a while I either get in between novels or I'm reading a novel that I'm not loving that much. And so I just realized like, first of all, I need to get new novels. We are home in New York. I was out of novels. So I went to my local bookshop because I personally refuse to buy books on Amazon um, unless they're from a used bookseller because Amazon is not favorable to authors and they get to set the pricing instead of the author and the publisher, which is not fair to the author. And I believe in local bookshops. So I walked to my local bookshop and I bought a handful of novels. And then I have been challenging myself, if I'm not loving a novel, quit the novel. You will never read all the books in the world just because you paid $20 for this novel. It, it does you absolutely no good if you're if it's sitting on your nightstand and you're not wanting to read it, but you're also feeling guilty getting rid of it. Like, this is ridiculous. If you don't love the novel, just quit it. Just put it away. Um, my fourth thing was There isn't a plug in the bathroom. I'm sorry. There is an outlet. I just didn't have a phone charger in there. Obviously not a huge thing, but I just had to be like, I'm going to go put a phone charger in there that just lives there that never gets touched. So I don't have that resistance late at night of, oh, I have to go find one. By the way, I did that in the middle of the afternoon. And I think that was what was helpful is normally at night is when I would be like, oh, maybe I should you know, not be on my phone. But then it's like, oh, I got to go find a charger. And is that a big thing? No, it's not. But is it a teeny tiny bit of resistance at night when I'm tired and when really I want the addiction to my screen so I'm not that motivated? Like, yeah, when it's the middle of the afternoon and I'm feeling much more clear and lucid is the time to go and do it. Um, I just don't remember. I don't think about it. So I put a post-it note um, next to my toothbrush that said, leave your phone here. It literally only took that one time. The post-it note and the plug and the Sudoku papers and the new novel next to my bed. Like those four things. And I plugged it in that first night and I haven't thought about, I haven't forgotten to do it since. I've been very surprised how quickly it became a habit, but there was actually four parts to that. Again, I put a post-it note so that I visually saw it. I had the plug right there ready to go, and I'd already 
so that's my first objection is I'm going to forget and then I'm going to think about it and I'm going to be like, ugh, I don't want to have to go look for a cord. Then my next objection is going to be, but I'm going to get into bed and I'm going to not have anything to do. Well, I've already got my paper Sudoku there. I've already got my brand new novel. I've like handled that. And then the final part is just, I don't want to <laughs> because there's an addiction to the screen. And I just had to get to a point where I was more motivated by my mornings. I was doing more journaling and more quiet time in the morning and I was enjoying it so much and I was seeing such value out of it. And I knew that what I was doing with my nighttime was such fluff and such just like hours of cotton candy by the time I watch TV and play Sudoku and scroll on Instagram or people.com. Like none of this is really like doing anything for me. And this is a good couple hours at night. And so I became more motivated by how healthy and rich my mornings were being that that was kind of the, the thing that, you know, switched it over. So whatever the thing is that you've been saying – forever you want to do, just really break down for yourself what is your resistance and your objections and what are the simplest ways that you can overcome them. And when I say simplest, let's say Sudoku was your thing and you were like, okay, but I don't have like the paper Sudoku, so I should get one the next time I go to the drugstore. But then like that's going to be a week away. Or you're like, I'll order one, but that's not going to be here for a few days, you know, from Amazon. What if I I bet if you just went right now, you could probably go find some for free on the internet and just print them off, right? Like you know, there, there may just be a simpler way to be like, let me just try it. Let me just print some of these off on the internet and just you know, give it a whirl. Or I'm going to go on Amazon. I'm going to order one. But literally, I'm going to set a timer. I have I have five minutes to do this. I am not going to overthink it. I am not going to obsess. I'm not going to get on Amazon and then be like, okay, wait, but do I want the Sudoku book? Because then there's this other book that's that's four things in one. It's Sudoku and it's crossword and blah, blah, blah. There's so often it is a simple thing and yet we overcomplicate it. And then that's the reason we didn't get around to it. So it really was just having to say to myself in each one of these things, what's the, it's a simple little thing that I can do. And the last thing that has helped is celebration. Which again, accountability, we know this, not a new thing, tale as old as time, but saying to, out loud to Jeremy, aren't you proud of me? This is, how many nights in a row is this? This is four nights in a row I haven't slept with my phone. And just saying it out loud, calling it out. And by doing that, I also believe there's a better chance that he would catch me if I forgot one night and and do take it to bed, that he would be like, you're on your phone. And I'd be like, oh, right, because... I've verbally told him, this is something I'm not doing anymore. And it also helps me to just say out loud, like, I am so proud of myself. It has been this many days. Oh my gosh, it has been a full week. Oh, I am so proud of myself. And that really helps as well. And if no one else is there to tell you, I am deeply proud of you. Whatever you have done this morning, today, this evening, whatever you have done or not done this week, I am deeply proud of you. And I cannot wait to see you more over on Instagram stories very soon. And then back here next, You're Welcome Wednesday with grace and gumption. Till next Wednesday. 